I want you to, to stand, if you would. Those of you that are fifth grade and under, you are dismissed. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. I faked some of you out. Aaron's going on like that. Uh, I want you to stand. I want you to take your Bibles. And I want you to turn with me this morning to Revelation chapter 3. You say, why are we standing when we're reading the Word? We're going to start doing this every Sunday when we read the Word. Uh, I want everybody to get that if you would, and I'll explain to you why. And let me get my watch off so that you that I can make it to the south side and you can get home before your pot roast burns. Oh, good. I've got about three hours today. Good. That's just on this side. Okay, everybody have Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading with verse 14. We, I heard of this this week, and, and we, we talked about it a little bit in our elders' meeting. We meet, our elders meet every Wednesday and just sit and have coffee, and we talk about you, we talk about the church, we, we uh, pray for you, we mourn over you, we do everything we can to hear what God is saying to the church. And uh, we are living in a culture that is devoid of the Word of God. And the church has got to come back to respecting the Word. Now hear me. It's not about tradition, friends, but it's respecting the Scripture. You hear what I'm saying? The Scripture needs to be respected and needs to be honored for the place it has in our lives. If the Scripture does not have priority in the church, it will not have priority in your home. If it doesn't have priority in your home, it won't have priority in the church. And standing, you know, we, we stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. We stand for all kinds of different things. I just think it would be a good practice to start showing respect to our Commander-in-Chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we read His Word. My heart is that you would come to love His Word as life. His Word is life to you. Let's read Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We are in the second message of a series called They Just Came for the Donuts. And today we're going to begin speaking about elephant ears. So we're going to move from a different kind of round thing to something even worse. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And you say, man, that is really rough going. But then Jesus never leaves us. I've never, in reading the Scripture, found that Jesus leaves us hanging. He gives the because. Because. You say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. And you say, God counseling us? You know, if you really knew about Him, you'd understand Isaiah declares Him as wonderful counselor. Man, when God says, I'm counseling you, it's something for you to sit up and go, whoa, this must be important if God's going to counsel me on it. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. I just want to remind you again and again, God is not out to expose you. He's out to cover you with His love. I'm telling you. 
However, he's got a plan in place that your nakedness may, be, be, may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Again, as you read this, I want to make you very much aware this was, a lot of you were raised that this was salvation sermon number one. This has nothing to do with unbelievers. This is written to the church. And it's a big, huge deal to be standing in a place where Jesus has to knock to get in. Huge. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame. Jesus never asks anything of us that he has not already done. If he overcame, he can with assurance tell you, you can overcome. You're either an overcomer, friends, or you're being overcome. It's either one or the other. He says, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for Your Word. When I look at Your Word and realize the responsibility of Your Word, it's just so inadequate But I, for my own flesh to speak. But I thank You that You've sent a second voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask You that You would come even through my weaknesses and You would make Yourself strong this morning. I thank You that Your Word says that in my weakness His grace becomes strong. I ask for strong grace in this house this morning. I ask for an awakening on this rainy day in October, God. November, Lord. Second Sunday in November, the 8th of November, I ask that You would come. And you would awaken. Your word says that we're not to awaken love before it's time. I ask God that you would awaken love right now. I believe in your timing. I believe it's a time when you want to awaken love in our hearts. I ask for the hearing of the word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready to hear the word. You may be seated. Last week we began to talk to you about, and by the way, just keep the title one on there. It'll be you're going to go to number seven when I, when you when you hear it, you'll know. She's back there going, huh? You, just trust me. <laughs> Last week we began to introduce to you a series of messages that I thought was only going to be three weeks, but you know, leave me alone with the scripture long enough, and it it grows. And so this morning we're just going to keep plowing, only we're going to plow into Revelation 3. But we began to talk about what happens when your expectations, your vision, your passion faces real life responses and desires. And how easy it is to adapt to our environment instead of fighting that environment and fighting that change and, and really becoming what God wants us to be. And we talked about what it means to always want good things, to always want sweet things, those donut things, those things that are just so good to the taste, 
and understand that if we stay on that level, we begin then to be malnourished. And I see a church today, and I'm not indicting this church or Southside, although you got the good side of the sermon last week. Southside, it went a little bit tougher, but just because we're dealing with, sometimes we deal with different issues. They're all the same in our church, but we deal with different ones in some ways. And uh, Papa has to rearrange some things. But here's the deal. God didn't, you know, we hear all this about, you know, we want revival, we want renewal, we want... I, th- I think what we, we don't need a revival, we don't need a renewal, we need a reformation. We need a change. A total change of our understanding of God, of His timing, and where we're at in our place in history. And we are at a place right now where donuts are not going to sustain the church. Fluff is not going to sustain the church. When you come to this church on Sunday morning, or when you come and both the sides are gathered together, I want to make you a promise. Fluff is not what you're going to get. I, 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 I was raised in, in a very legalistic situation, but I can tell you this. One thing I thank God for is my pastor growing up and my pastors growing up exposed us to, to great men of the Word. I will never forget at 12 years old, sitting in awe as a man by the name of Leonard Ravenhill came and stayed at our church for several weeks and poured into us. And here's the one thing I remember Lynn saying, and it was this. He said these words. He says, this life is but a dressing room for eternity. And what I put into me right now, into my spirit, is going to determine what's going on in my eternal reward. And so we are dealing right now, this sermon came, in fact, I talked to the little guy this week, came from a 12-year-old who had, tried, who had started a Bible study in his high school, and 23 people showed up the first day, and he was all excited. The only trouble was, he says, Dad, we didn't have enough donuts to go around. So his dad says, I'll supply him. By the third or fourth week in the Bible study, he comes home and he's all depressed. There's still as many kids there as there was the first day, you know, up and down. But he comes home and he says, Dad... He says, you know what, I I don't want to do it no more. And he says, well, why, Isaac? Because he says, they're only coming for the donuts. This little guy would get his Bible out and he would prepare. And I I talked to him this week. I said, how's that that Bible study going, Isaac? And and, and this is back in the Bible Belt, Missouri. And he said, listen, he says, Papa, Papa, it's going okay. But he says, you know, we're we're down to about 18. But he he says, it's going okay. We're still after it. And I said, Isaac, I want to thank you for your insight into the Word of God. The pastor is preaching a series of messages on what your insight, that we come sometimes just for the donuts, and we never come for the true meat of the Word. It's a dangerous place to be. How many churches gather this morning, and they will go and they will return to that church if the fluff meets their taste buds. Come on. If if the program is what they want, I'm looking forward to the day when True Life Church meets together and the program no longer matters. The, the the how we reign service no longer matters. That from the very moment we come together and the first note on the piano or the guitar is hit, there is this overwhelming sense that we have come for more than just a snack. We have come to meet with Jesus. 
There's something burning in my heart. There's a shift in the wind, friends. There's something going on in the Spirit that we need to pay attention to. We talked to you out of John chapter 6 last week about how Jesus had fed the 5,000 and they came and they began to say, Jesus, where have you been? Friends, it's really bad when we show up to church and the first thing we think of is, Jesus, where were you this week? See, we, you, you, let, let, me just, let me help you with a little clue. As a pastor and a pastoral staff and elders, we stay very busy during the week. And this last week was a week I prefer not to repeat. One of the things you learn, everybody say, I love you, Papa. (laughs) Come on, I love you, Pastor. Come on. One of the things you learn about me is I am not afraid when I see something out of whack to go and say, that is out of whack. And so I had to set some leaders down. I had to deal with some things last week. said, this isn't going to happen. This is not going to happen. There is a lifestyle that we require that you live. There are ways of the Scripture that we believe you need to be plugged in. And you know what? That In some ways, that's kind of an uneasy thing. But here's the deal. We have more than church to think about, friends. It's not about church and church services. It's about the presence of a living Christ coming into the midst of His people and changing that people so they no longer want because let me tell you something if you come for donuts on Sunday you'll be burned out by Monday now we're going to approach Revelation chapter 3 the church in Laodicea it's the last one of the seven churches we're going to approach it a little bit backwards this morning but I want you to look at verse 21 it says to him who has ears to hear let him hear what it is the Spirit says to the churches now, we talked about donuts this morning. I want you to get out. How many of you have ever been to a fair and ate elephant ears? Okay. So, I don't want you to think of those kind of elephant ears this morning. I want you to put on your elephant ears. You ever seen an elephant in the zoo? Okay, i got to tell you a little story. My middle daughter. When she was Ellie's age. In fact, she looked a lot like Ellie in that she was blonde, blue-eyed, had that crooked grin, you know. See, most parents won't admit this about their children. But there were days I'd look at that kid, and her ears were bigger than her head. Her mom got really mad at me one day. Her mom was holding her, and I said, fly over to Papa. I couldn't resist, because, man, that kid's ears, man, they were engulfing her head. I want your ears to engulf your head this morning. I want them to be huge. And here, here, let me give you five reasons why. The truth that is proclaimed in the Scripture here is not something that was transcribed down as another man's word. This, was, this is Jesus speaking. This is not Isaiah. It's not John the Revelator. This is Jesus And when Jesus says, hey, listen up, it means it's extremely important to Jesus that you hear what He's saying. And I think, friends, if it's extremely important to Jesus, it should be extremely important to me. See, I I think sometimes we are so... Let me put it this way. Most of you probably bought your Bible at a Christian bookstore, right? I have nothing against Christian bookstores. If you are here or if you're listening to this by the web, I'm not against Christian bookstores, but I don't like them. 
You know why? You walk in and there's knickknacks all over the place. Like if you buy this thing and put it on your wall, your house is going to become some kind of Christian sanctuary. And everything is so nice, so neat, so commercial. And the books, have you ever looked at the books? I made one bookstore really mad. In fact, they're closed now. I think it could have been my prayers. Because I went into one bookstore one day and the guy was just bashing the Holy Spirit. He was bashing everything. And I looked on, and he, I mean, to me, the stuff he was selling was nothing better than Christian comics. So I went to him. I said, hello, Mr. Owner. You need to be careful of how you treat the Holy Spirit. Because this place will close if you don't stop. It's closed now. You know why? Because here's the deal, friends. Jesus speaks to us and He wants us to understand what He's saying through His Word is extremely important. And it's not fluff. It's not a good Sunday school lesson. It's not something go, ooh, isn't that wonderful? No, Jesus said, if you have an ear, if you have an ear. Now, that's a scary proposition if you don't have an ear. Because Paul would write, he says, they've become dull of hearing. If you have an ear to hear, please hear. It doesn't say please. It says let him hear what the Spirit is saying. You say, man, this is kind of aggressive. Get used to it. I think God's calling us into a little more aggressive situation, friends, because we have an aggressive environment around us. And see, we're going to talk about lukewarmness in a moment. We're not going to pay attention. Everybody, every time I've heard a pastor preach on this or a speaker, they always concentrate on the vomit. I don't want to concentrate on the vomit. I want to concentrate on the good things that are in God's Word that will ultimately change my life for the better. So I I have to listen because this truth proclaimed is extremely important to Jesus. It is a call to pay careful attention. You're going to have to go below the surface. It will take focus of your life to understand what Jesus says. Can I help you here? I'm sure that everybody in this place, every day of the week, you do devotions. <laughs> Please don't, don't raise your hand and go, oh yeah, I do it every day because I don't want lightning bolts to come out of the ceiling, you die, and then we have a problem. But here's the deal. I think it's a tragedy. It is a tragedy, friends, when we have so many ways to get the Scripture in us that we never take time to get below the surface of the Word. We pick up the Word. You know, some of your... I know this sounds... You know, oh man, he's talking about personal devotions again. Friends, (laughs) you know, here's some of your personal devotions. Wow. Okay, the Word of the... Scripture wasn't good. Let's try that one. I don't like that one. Oh, this one's good. This one. That's, that's not getting below the surface, friends. That is focusing on donuts. Right. <laughs> Some of you have never cruised through Jeremiah. 
You get about two chapters into Jeremiah and go, this dude has got issues. He needs a psychiatrist. I'm backing out because he's so negative. <laughs> and you get, you really like Isaiah chapter 1. That's really a good one. Though your sins be as scarlet, he'll wash them white as snow. Till you get to Isaiah 5 and you find out God's not going to put up with your monkey business no more. And so, well, let's forget Isaiah. Let's try Amos. Amos doesn't work either. Obadiah, Jonah, all this stuff. We just go right, oh, let's just get in the Psalms. And we're okay with the Psalms until David laces one up. They say, man, is there anybody in this world? Well, I'll just, I'll just read the words of Jesus and they'll build my... And you're reading the words of Jesus until all of a sudden Jesus rears up and says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, what is this? We, I just want to be blessed by the word. Donut eater. You're looking for glazed donuts with sprinkles on them and you don't want to have any meat. And let me tell you something, you will eventually die from donuts. You'll die. First you'll look like this and then you'll die. So there has to be a... Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to have an ear to hear because I want you, church, to pay attention and to go below the surface of what I'm about to tell you. And the third thing is, understand, you can't do it on your own. It will take supernatural assistance and help of the Holy Spirit to understand the heart of Jesus. You can't do it with the commentary. You can't do it with your favorite Bible translation. Um, that's a whole other issue. But let me tell you something. You're going to have to have the Holy Spirit to help you understand what's going on. Because it was the Holy Spirit that helped pin these words. It's the Holy Spirit that draws you to Jesus. It's going to be the Holy Spirit that's going to reveal Jesus to you. Right. You hearing me? Yeah. Everybody say Amen. Okay, I've got to keep you with me. Number four, Jesus gets serious. You're going to listen. The reason he's saying, I want you to hear, because Jesus is serious about eternal rewards. He's serious about you understanding that this life is nothing more than an internship for eternity. In fact, he's so serious about it that his word says, you're going to be known even as you are known. I want you to wear that one for a moment. That one frightens me to death. I'm sure I'm known in heaven. In fact, my name is in a book up there. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. But I'm very thankful that God has an incredible editing system going on in that Lamb's Book of Life. I'm thankful that my mistakes and my sin and my disobedience is being dealt with with the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful that when I open up Acts chapter 13, verse 22, and he speaks about David, he says, and David served his generation well according to the will of God. And you look at that and you go, what? He was an adulterous murderer scoundrel. And you know what? God has an incredible editing system and I'm thankful that God edits things out of my life. But in order for me to... Jesus is so wanting us to understand that... And, and, I, and I, it's hard to get this across to us. 
But there's going to come a day you're going to die unless Jesus returns. But most of us in this room are going to die. I never turned to your neighbor and said, that just lifted me up. I feel good now. We're going to die. I have never seen a Visa card machine put in a casket. I've never seen people stock their loved ones up with cash in their casket for the afterlife. You know why? What you make here doesn't spend well there. That's why Jesus says you need to lay up treasure where moth and rust cannot destroy. What's He talking about? He's saying, listen, there's a reward system going on in the heavens right now. And your internship is determining the rewards ahead. Some of you go, well, I just want to make it to heaven. You'll think twice about when you get there and what you're having to do and what you could do. You're going to think twice when you stand before Jesus at at the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer is not the great white throne, but the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to give an account for what you did in this body from the moment you came to know Jesus till the day you died. Thank God again for the blood of Christ. But here's where you're going to give account, friends. Here's where I am going to give account. Is did I allow all the destiny and possibilities that God had for me, did I allow Him to fulfill them in me, and did I reach my full potential? And there's going to be some crying going. He says, there are no tears in heaven. I think there's going to be some tears in this sense before we live in eternity. And that's going to be when Jesus shows us everything we could have been. Ah, that's going to be uncomfortable. Now, everybody go, wow, this is heavy. <clears throat> Takes focused determination to lay hold of the truth. And here's what you need to understand about truth. A right response to truth is not automatic. (laughs) You're going to have to understand this if you're going to understand what lukewarmness means. A right response to truth is not automatic. I don't just hear truth and then I'm suddenly changed. I have to conscientiously, on purpose, deliberately apply truth to my life. I'm not going to hear, you know, we, you've, I, I get so scared for what sometimes is being passed off as the word today because people can just automatically, we just respond. Let me tell you something. The word's deeper than just your emotional response. You hear me? Now, I know this is not popular. It's not, ooh, you know, six ways to heal your spiritual, you know, acne or whatever. frankly, I don't give account to you. I give account to God for how I feed the sheep. And hear this from a heart that is really, really sincere, that is trying desperately to apply these things to my own life and the life of those that, that, that take charge over you. And it's this, friends, we really need to understand that there needs to be a response to truth, but that response is not going to be automatic. In fact, sustaining truth in your life is not automatic. There's no shot. <laughs> There's no vaccine you can take and say, please load me up with, I'll take six, six C's of truth for the week if you could, please. No, 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 no. Sometimes too much truth will kill you. 
I want you to think about this. What would happen to your psyche right now if God was not merciful and just rolled back the curtains and showed you what you were really like? Well, I know what I'm like. Oh, no, you don't. Our minds, our souls, we, we, we deceive. In fact, I, I told one person this week, I said, listen, I said, Pastor, it's in my heart. I said, if you're listening to your heart, you're in big trouble. Because Jeremiah 17 says, your heart is deceitful and wicked, and who can know it? Come on. God knows it. And that's why, that's why the Word is so important. The Word is what washes us, what begins to show us gently but firmly about who we really are and who He really is and the dynamics of when we come together with Him and allow Him to be in us, there is a dynamic change that takes place, but it's not going to be automatic. One of the things we began to teach young believers in the last five, six years, and we had to deal with it, and Northside, I'm gonna, I want you just... To love, you have to, you can't be mad at me, so, because if you are, you're, that's your problem, because we'll love you anyway, but he, I want you to hear this, and I, I, I'm not indicting anybody, but I want you to hear this. For me to tell you, just come to the altar, pray the prayer, and your life is going to be skipped to the loo, my darling, really good, the rest of your life is a lie from the pit of hell. The scripture says I have to work out my own salvation. Jesus sets me free, but there is a life to be lived. There is a path to walk. There are things that take time in God to deal with. And we've become McDonald's churches. Drive in, get your healing burger, get your deliverance burger, get your, you know, your happy fries. And wrap it all in a happy meal. In fact, we'll give you a little gospel toy on the way out. And woohoo! We're happy. And you know what? We've got woohoo sad Christians today because the truth is not in them. They're not walking in truth. Tomorrow they get up. They worship God on Sunday. They said, whoa, God, you're great. And by the way, when we were singing that song this morning, the Holy Spirit dropped in something in my heart. There's many of you in this room, you've sang at God, but you've never sang to God. Good. I remember the first glance. Oh, I wish to God that we could remember what it was like that first time when we gazed into the eyes of Jesus and we saw something in Him that made our heart just palpitate. But see, we sing songs at Him. Oh, you're worthy, you're great, you're wonderful. And the minute we start singing romantic songs to Jesus, start singing to Him, people get uneasy and, oh, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Truth has not penetrated your inner man and your inward being to the point that you see and understand that this is not a contractual obligation and a contractual relationship, friends. It was based on love from the very beginning. God so loved us that He gave His Son. It's always been, it always will be a love relationship. And you know what? There's one thing for me to talk at my wife. It's another thing for me to talk to my wife. And it's one thing in prayer to talk at Jesus, but it's another thing to talk to Him. It's another thing to sing at Him, but it's another thing to sing to Him. There's a big dynamic difference and a big big wide expanse. 
So Jesus says, listen to him who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now I want you to go to verse 14. Time is short, but we're going to get this into your heart this morning. We are, we are looking at our calendar right now. More than likely within the next two, three weeks, we're going to bring both sides together again and uh, deal some more in these areas. But I, want to, I just wanted you to look at the word. It says, into the angel, verse 14, of the church of the Laodiceans. Now, the, the, let, me, let me help you here with some, you know, with some word, word understanding. The word Laodicean, the, the, you have to cut that word in two because it's actually two words that have been blended into one. The word Leo or Laos means this. It means people. It means people. It means people. Dicea or Dicea means to rule. The word Laodicea literally means the rule of the people. Now that's huge for you to understand when Jesus indicts them on lukewarmness. There's a reason that they're lukewarm. Wherever there is self-rule and self-government, Oh, you don't understand. Let me help you a little bit. Western thinking can get us in trouble sometimes because most of, if not all of you, probably all of you, have been raised in, in a free society. Uh, unfortunately, you've taken some things for granted. You haven't understood some basic issues. I'm not against democracy I don't, even, I don't know if I'm for it, but I'm not against it. I believe in our way of life, but I'm going to tell you something. If at the bottom of how we rule ourselves is not the understanding that the, earth is, that, that the heavens are His throne and the earth is His footstool, that underneath everything there is a God who is above all. Every believer should be theocratic. That means God ruled in their life because i want you to hear this governments in the last days are going to pass away they're going to come and they're going to go because why because there's a government coming friends isaiah says the government's going to be upon his shoulders there's a government coming friends that's not democratic it's not people ruled it's not people decided it's jesus decided and we get in trouble especially in our culture we get in trouble when we try to rule ourselves without a ruler. Oh, we get messed up. And see, Laodicea, the word means ruled by the people. Now, that is a contrary concept in all of the Word of God. Let me take you back. You've got Uncle Moses trying to lead the children of Israel not only out of deliverance, but into the promised land. And there is a constant breakdown in communication. And in fact, every turn Moses makes, if the majority ruled, it'd be 5,000 years later, they'd still be circling the mountain, friends. Come on. Jump forward in history. God, yes, my chosen people, we want to be like the rest of the nations around us, so give us a king. We want 
to be self-ruled. And what happened? God says, oh, the Bible says God was not a happy camper over this whole idea because he'd been ruling by the judges. He'd been ruling as, as, a, as a theocratic God, as a God who was over all. And the minute they turned rulership to man, to a king, they get this guy by the name of Saul. Stood head and shoulders above the people. What happens? All of a sudden, they're in the middle of wars. Things are breaking down. Things are going under. What's happening? You know, they want, and from there on, you track the history of God's people, the nation of Israel. Pretty soon, the Babylonians capture. I mean, they're just in trouble all the time. You bring it up to today's culture, right now, to history as we know it. The Jews are still not a free people. And won't be until that day when Jesus walks upright into Jerusalem and the Jewish people begin to ask Him, will you not sit on the throne of your father David? You will then see a new government in place. You will then see a change. But for us to understand Laodicea, we've got to understand it begins with the thought of, I'm in charge of my own life. I don't know about you, but I really shouldn't be in charge of too much, not alone my own life. It seems that I have to fix or suffer the consequences of a lot of my own life's decisions, my own rule. You're saying you're not competent to make those decisions. I'm telling you there's some decisions without God's help I'm just not competent to make. Young couple, it happens all the time. We, we have a lot of 20-somethings. They'll come up. I'll get a phone call usually from one of the guys. We've got this deal that we work with our young men that, you know, if you can't get a hold of Brian or one of the elders, you can call me. And uh, we kind of, now this is going to sound really old-fashioned and judge me, I don't care. But we've really asked our guys in their dating habits and patterns to submit them to someone in authority over them. We're not big on authority. We just believe that God wants us to be accountable. So I was driving along the other day. My phone rang. And here's one of the guys. He's pastor. What, what do you think about so-and-so? I'm going, I said, what am I supposed to think? I said, cut to the chase, dude. You're in love, aren't you? Oh, man, if I, do, you, do you think? I said, oh, here's the hoops. Call her parents. Well, her parents aren't saved, but she goes to such and such church. Cool. Call her pastor. Oh, really? I called you. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm just the first hoop. And there's people in this room that are, you're hearing that, and you're going, oh, that's just some kind of cultish thing. No, it's called accountability. And it's called, you know what? If I leave myself to make those decisions, I'm more than like... How many times have people woken up a week after the wedding and go, what the snort did I do? <laughs> and you look over and go, oh! <laughs> you know, it's like the story of Jacob. And, and you know, Leah means... Weak eyes, 
And I, I just, I, I look at that. Jacob had worked seven years so he could marry Rachel, and he wakes up on his wedding morning, and it's Leah there. And I just, these were his words. I, I think he went, jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those peepers? You know, he just went freaked out, man. He just went, ah! <laughs> we just got to be careful of self-rule. Amen? Now look, now, look what it says here. It says, these things says, and we're not going to deal with this part this morning because we're going to come back. If you read the seven letters to the seven churches, you will find that before Jesus ever deals with a problem, He always gives the solution. Isn't that cool? Jesus will never point a problem out to you in your life without having already given you the solution. Most of the time after He's given you the solution and He begins to deal with you in an area, you go, oh, that's what you were talking about. Exactly. And He never gives a, a solution that does not involve Him. So immediately, as he begins to deal with the Laodiceans, he says, here's the solution. I'm the amen. I'm the so be it. That's good. <laughs> I'm the faithful and true witness. You know what that means? You notice he doesn't say he's the truth. He's the faithful and true witness. Jesus is going to witness the truth about himself and about you. Oh, good. And I can't wait to get to the last one. And he says, I am the beginning of creation. Why is that important to Laodicea? You're going to find in a moment that Laodicea was in such a mess, in such a state, that they needed a Jesus to come and have a Genesis week in their life. Remember, we get all jacked up about the book of Acts. Well, we want a book of Acts church. I don't want a book of Acts church. I want a book of Genesis church. In the beginning, God said... And darkness was over the face of the earth. And, and the Spirit of God hovered. And God said, can you imagine Isaiah 61 talks about darkness and He says, let the glow, you know, rise, shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. See, we, we, we don't need some renewal, friends. We need reformation. And reformation is going to take creative acts. There's some things that God's going to have to create in me. David got onto it real early when he said, created me a clean heart. He knew that, man, there was nothing he could do to fix his heart. He knew that renewal wasn't going to help his heart. He knew that revival wasn't going to help his heart. He, he, he knew that, you know, all this stuff that we call a move of God today, which I think half the time is in error, it's fleshly, it doesn't smell good to God. Because I want you to know, God is waiting for the church to bring Him a sacrifice that's, that's one that He's put there, not one we've concocted. And, and David says, listen, okay, I'm going to set that aside. And he says, create in me. He knew it was going to take creative ability of God to have a clean heart. Some of you think there's five steps to a clean heart. There isn't. There's the touch of God and His creative ability on your life to change you. Now, what does lukewarm mean? It says here, oh, and we're going to run out of time. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of your mouth. Lukewarm means moderately warm, tepid, indifferent. Now, if I was to take a bucket this morning of lukewarm water, we have this bucket of lukewarm water, and you are going to be the boiling hot drop of water. You've just been to church. You've got jacked up on worship. You're burning for God. 
You walk out the building. And on your way from the building to the car, you begin to notice something different. You've changed environments. See, this is where the church is dying right now. The church isn't prepared for the environment out there. You don't walk out of your church on Sunday morning prepared for the spirit of the age. The biggest stronghold that has to come down in this age right now is the spirit of lukewarmness. It is a demonic thing. And so you have this, oh, I'm hot for God, drop. And the minute you get into the environment, if I drop that hot drop into that lukewarm bucket, what happens to the water? It doesn't change the temperature. In fact, it takes the hot drop and makes it like it. You ever get frustrated with yourself? I went through a period of time just totally frustrated. God would speak and God would work in my life. And about two days later, I'm right back to the same spot. In fact, I totally began to understand what Paul wrote in Romans. The things I hate to do, those are the things I do. The things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And there comes out of Paul, he says, I'm just wretched. I had somebody this week, we're doing something. <laughs> and, and we just were getting nowhere. Finally, they just said, well, I guess I'm just wretched. And I started clapping. I said, bingo, we got it, you are, you're horrible. <laughs> and, and people are going, you shouldn't tell people that. Well, they were. Good grief. What is it with Christians today that don't want to deal with the truth about themselves? And the guys looked at me and I said, thank you, we're finally making progress. If you can keep going on that genre right now, we may have healing in a week or two. Because there has to be that. And so here's the drop of water and it becomes like the rest. And I used to say, God, what's going on? And the Holy Spirit began to just gently nudge me to this understanding that I am in a fight on a daily basis to not be claimed by my culture and my environment. And the worst thing that's going on today, everybody says, well, how do you feel about the economy? I'm not happy about the economy, but inside I'm jumping up and down going, yes, yes, yes. You know why? The church was birthed in faith and it needs to get back to faith. But instead, we're rich. We have need of nothing. And Jesus says, you are poor. You are so bankrupt poor. You couldn't buy a celery stick in the spirit world. You are poor. Poor. Or as my friends say in the South, Poe. You're just poor. And the, and the deal is, the deal is, friends, I am tired in my own spirit, and I think the church is starting to get a little bit antsy of just getting moved and, you know, being stirred, but not changed. What is that? Well, how is church? I love this. People, if they're, they're, if they're gone on Sunday, you know, we'll, we'll track them down. One of these, how is church on Sunday? And I've always wanted to say it stunk. It was just horrible. Just, just gross. But instead, you said, well, we worshiped. We had the word. It's okay. The truth is, we've got to get back to the truth. Church shouldn't just be high and and we're out there again, 
There needs to be this fight put in my spirit that that little ember, that little flame that was birthed and some of you this morning as you began to sing, God, oh holy God, change my heart. Burn, purge with flame and truth. And that little little flame starts flickering. You need to start looking at that flame and say, I'm not going to let the environment put my flame out so that I come back in next Sunday morning cold and dead as a mackerel and the pastor has to... Pump the, you know, pump it up and get that little flame going again. Friends, I'm looking for in my own life and the life of the church that we come to a point when we come together, we just have a huge bonfire going because our flames have just grown during the week because we have kept out the environment of our, the spiritual environment of our culture around us. Where's Karen? Is Karen in here? You better play the piano to give them hope that we're going to end this thing this morning. Now listen to me. Here's my best explanation for lukewarm, and we're going to come back to this, but I want to get it into your head for you to think about. In the first, in one of the early letters that Jesus writes, he writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, listen, I know your works. I know what you've been trying to do. You've got some good things going, but he says you've left your first love. You've left that time of falling in love. He, when he indicts the Laodiceans, and you start playing anything you want to play, when he starts indicting the Laodiceans, he says, I know your works, and he just stops there. He says that you're neither hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm. And what is the difference between returning to your first love and being in this lukewarm thing. Because here's the thing. Do you know you can be saved in a lukewarm church and birthed in lukewarmness? And that's going to... That's all you... We're, we're going to be what we know. We're going to be what we know. Now see, this, this is where I, I, I'm still learning history here for this side of our church. But I can tell you just about 95% of the people that come that you've worshipped with on a Sunday morning on the south side were birthed in revival. We went through a stretch of period of time where literally the presence of God would fill the place we were worshipping literally almost in a physical way. Those people were birthed out. There was a startling change in their life. One month we baptized over 150 people in water and one DJ was up in that tank, man, shriveling as he dunked him in water, man. It was it was crazy time. But here's the deal. Jump ahead seven years. And we're at a critical junction right now. Why? We've lost the first love. There's been casualties along the way. But there's a huge difference between first love and Laodicean. Here's the best way to explain it. Elizabeth and I got married because she asked me to. She was so crazy, head over heels in love with me, and I just kind of casual about it. Think, yeah, whatever. You know, not really. I begged her. <laughs> so we get love, we get married, and we're in love, and, you know, have our kids. And pretty soon, you know, here's what can happen. Mom's so focused on the kids, on the house. Dad's focused on an income, doing whatever he's called to do. And we've gone through periods of time in this in our life. I'm not going to blow smoke over you and say it's always been wonderful. I mean, it has for her because I'm around. But, you know, 
But how many of you know in your marriage busyness can overcome the flame of love? That's what, F, what he was saying to Ephesus. But here's the, here's the lay of the scenes. Here's lukewarmness. Lukewarmness is like the, the gal or the guy who flirts with everybody. Dates a few people. Finds one person and says, I'm going to keep this person on a string. But she's not my top priority. My top priority is having a good time. And what happens is, the love life with Jesus becomes nothing more than an occasional, now, now watch this, an occasional one night stand. And there's never, now, now check this out, there's never any, any deliberate fruit born out of a Laodicean life. There might be an accident once in a while. And the intimacy of a Laodicean is intimacy for self-pleasure only, not out of covenant love that is to produce certain things. And so when we understand that, we look at ourselves as a church and say, are we a first love church or are we a Laodicean church? Have we just been having some spiritual one night stands along the way, getting really, oh wow, that was really cool. Jesus, I love you. It's so wonderful. And by Monday, because he's not been placed as a priority in my life, then along comes another lover. I had one guy a couple weeks ago. They were having trouble. I said, listen, you are going to sit down and you are going to read in its entirety the book of Hosea. You ever read the book of Hosea? Crazy book. God says, I want you to go marry this prostitute named Gomer. My kids read that book so much, one of my girls threatened to name her first daughter Gomer. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. There comes a point in that story where she has been out and about. I mean, she is no more loyal to Hosea than, a, than nothing. She is, if I can use the word, she's just plain whorish in her whole aspect of her life. And, and about the time that Hosea is fed up to hear, God says, listen, this is like Israel, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allure her into the wilderness. And when she's out there, I'm going to tell her that I'm your husband. I'm your maker. I'm your creator. And I'm going to win her over. The cure for lukewarmness that we're going to learn in our body and in our church is not some fancy way of thinking, but it's allowing ourselves to be allured away from the culture to for once and for all fall in love with Jesus. You see, when it boils all down, the church is not an organization set up by somebody that the government says it's okay. The church is literally the bride of Jesus Christ. And there needs to become in the church of Jesus Christ a bride mentality to where we come to the point 
where with the Holy Spirit on one side, we lift our hands and we say, will you not come, O lover of my soul, to rule and reign? It's literally where the Bible says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. I want you to stand.